you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. This is Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Thechrisvossshow.com. Welcome to the big tent, uh, the big circus tent of podcasting in the sky. I don't know what that means because we don't have elephants, lions, and tigers or bears. Well, welcome to the big show, my family and friends. We certainly appreciate you guys being here. As always, we have an amazing author and brilliant mind on the show. So we'll be getting to him in a second and some of the things he's working on in leadership, et cetera, et cetera. Some of the children's books he's written as well. Uh, in the meantime, as always, the Chris Voss Show isn't quite an MLM, but we do require you have five people in your downline. No, I'm just kidding. We don't do that. But please reach out to your family and friends and you know mail them a postcard that says, hey, have you subscribed yet to the Chris Voss show? <laughs> uh, we, uh, we, uh, you know, tell them to go to youtube.com for chess Chris Voss, go to goodreads.com for chess Chris Voss, go to our big LinkedIn group, LinkedIn newsletter over there is killing it, the big uh, LinkedIn stuff we're doing. We just booked the second billionaire we've ever had on the show uh, today, so uh, watch for that. It'll be, uh, I think, here next week. We're we'll talking to billionaires, and and uh, I think we just might make the show all just billionaires from here on out. Uh, so uh, this la this guest might be the last uh, normal guest on the show. No, that's not going to happen. We're not going to be that way. Uh, anyway, guys, uh, one tip of the news that I thought was kind of interesting, Meta, if you're familiar with Meta, which is otherwise known as Facebook, one of their vice presidents told the staff to uh, make the metaverse so obviously successful that his dad stops calling him every week to ask about it wow that's some pressure right there basically he's just telling his uh his staff uh, please make the metaverse stop sucking <laughs> so there's that anyway our newest author and uh, welcome to the show uh is going to be atlas oldman he is here to promote his uh, newest book that will be coming out in june it's rule of three how elite leaders win and this is one of uh, several books that he has we'll be talking to him about his amazing book his life uh, what sort of uh, things he did in the white house etc etc uh atlas altman has successfully led military and technology teams in the white house special operations and combat zones since joining the air force in 1995 he and his 16-year-old son recently teamed up and published a book uh, series that garnered number one best-selling rank on Amazon for over two weeks in preparation to self-publish uh, his Leadership Lessons book, uh, which we just aforementioned, and it's available to the public uh, coming June 2023. He is now helping people write, speak, and win using his processes and experiences from the shadowy sidelines of history <laughs> i should put that in the in the movie voice welcome to the show atlas how are you thanks chris i am excellent now thanks for that awesome introduction that's uh i love the word shadowy you said it so perfectly yeah it was like the it was like the uh, the whole in a world gone mad <laughs> atlas altman brings oh, you the process yeah. and experiences from the shadowy sidelines of history i don't do that well at all <laughs> i feel all like right. a billionaire though so yeah, yeah let's, let's go with that we, we try to make every guest feel like a book. So welcome to the show, Atlas. Uh, give us your dot coms, you. wherever you want people to find you on those interwebs in the sky. Perfect. Yeah, I'm on leaders tat kit. 
leaders.com. So that's leaders like the word dash kit.com. Let's talk about a little bit of your history. Let's uh, sell you a little bit to the audience and talk about what, what sort of upbringing, background, uh, what got you in the military, et cetera, et cetera and, and uh, focus on leadership. Yeah, I love myself. So let's talk about me. This wow. is fantastic. I thought I was uh, the only narcissist in the room. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, yeah, early childhood, uh, my dad left us. I ended up hanging out with my grandpa, who was a special operator. He taught me how to march, and my first words were HUP 234. Uh -huh. uh, I looked, looked at him and I said, man, I want to be that guy. Everyone comes up to him for answers. And then uh, my mom went and married another uh, guy in the army. He was fantastic at leading too. And I was like, I got to do this leadership thing. Uh -huh. And uh, apparently the military is a place to do it. So the recruiter came over and I said, I want to learn how to do leader things. Mm -hmm. And he sold me a bill of goods. <laughs> they always do. And I became an admin troop. And uh -huh. I, I sat next to commanders and apparently I did that really well. And that was before email was a thing. So mm -hmm. I used to print out a lot of emails. One of them said, hey, uh, general officer who I was working for, you can give a scholarship to anyone. And I said, hey, boss, can I do this? He said, yeah, go talk to the speechwriter. So mm -hmm. uh, Christmas, he visits me, pays for my education. I become a commission officer. And now 27 years later, I've worked at the White House, elite military organizations that people will never hear of because they're they're in the shadowy, <laughs> the shadowy sidelines of history. Uh, commanded some really fantastic teams across battlefields in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, we've opened the door to technology and innovative cells, uh, but really innovation was where leadership is. In fact, if you look at all the leaders that everyone looks at now, people look at innovation first and they say, how do I be like that? So I went into uh, that. Now my official title in the Air Force is where warfare communications operations. And I have a 17, which is an operator, uh, Air Force specialty code, which I'm about to retire here pretty soon, and then help people with all the things that I learned and all of these special teams that I got to be a part of. And uh, yeah, in Afghanistan, I punched the ticket. I was the director of special operations and President Trump at the time said, hey, we're leaving. And I said, guys, I think we're serious. And uh, the, the uh, Air Force made an offer. They said, how about you uh, You stay in? We'll send you to Phoenix. I said, man, you know me too well. It's been too long. So <laughs> Phoenix, And uh, I'm serving out that uh, couple of years that they're letting me do before I, uh, uh, before I go help. So There you go. And you served in the Obama administration. I did. There uh, you go. Two years there at the end, mm -hmm. uh, first uh, term where I was advancing him, which means I was going before him and making the White House appear before him and his staff and Secret Service and all those people. Nice. And, uh, then I, you know, I lived at the White House for, for two years um, as, a, as his personal communicator, uh, which means whenever somebody had a bad day, they would call me and say, hey, this is a bad day. And I would vet all of his calls for him if, wow. I, if needed to be for uh, uh, military emergencies. Oh, Good. wow. Yeah. It's a good gig. I suppose that's pretty necessary for, you know, what goes on in the world and all the confrontations, military, you know, uh, uh, chances for something to escalate and turn into World War Three. So you got to have some definitely a handle on that. Yeah, it was phenomenal to be there. The yeah. team was amazing, too. I mean, I can't say enough good things, but uh, yeah, he's always the president, whether he's sleeping or whether he's in the Oval. So, yeah, that's somebody's a always got to be there. It's a hell of a job. You look at 
how much toll it takes. Uh, I think he, Obama did some jokes about how how old he looked. Uh, I think it was the national press thing, you know, about the difference in age and, yeah. and stuff. And yeah, I mean the sh- the stuff you have to worry about and the weight of the world. I mean, you know, I run small businesses and you know had a hundred plus employees. It, that weighs on you. I'm like. Well, what is it? What is it like when you're the leader of the whole world? Um, so let's get into uh, you know how you've transposed a lot of that. I was going to tell the joke too. You went from Afghanistan to Phoenix, so you just went from one hell desert to another. <laughs> no, no shame. No, it's me. gorgeous here. You should come it's, visit. It's a beautiful place, but it's hotter than hell. <laughs> and I I say that because I live in Vegas. <laughs> Right. I feel your pain, except uh, about 10 degrees less. Um, so uh, let's see. Uh, let's talk a little. Let's touch on the first book that you put out, I believe, with your son, uh, the yeah. Fox book. Let's, yeah. let's give that a plug. Okay. Yeah. So my son looks at me. He's 15 at the time. And he goes, Dad, I'm going to be driving soon. Um, how do I make money? <laughs> and I was like, ah, write a book, dude. And he's like, let's do that. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, we should write a book. Yeah. I'm like, I don't speak French. What is this we word you're using? So <laughs> I was like, you write a book. I'll write a book. We'll see who's better. And uh, we go after it. And uh, and he brings me the book. And he goes, Dad, you know, seriously, how do I make money? And I said, you know, you need to get one of those clown suits and some good makeup and figure out how to do the balloon animal thing. And then <laughs> that just like, in the circus. He's like, your book is good. Let's go with that. So uh, we got an illustrator and we published the book and. I went through the process because I'm getting ready to do that anyways. I uh, pulled my book back from uh, a couple very well-known uh, places because Dave Goggins was like, don't let anybody publish your book. And and he's right. They That's own true. they own a lot of your information when somebody else publishes your book. So mm-hmm. I wanted to give it a plug, did it with the kid's book. Next day, we're on the best-selling list on Amazon. And uh, my son at, at 15 is the editor of a best-selling book. I was like, dude, your, your resume is golden. Like you could pick your job. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And he's like, ah, I don't feel any different. And I still don't have any money. I'm like, Fair <laughs> you know, I, I really wish I would have started writing books earlier in my life and career. I actually tried to write one earlier, about 10 years earlier than I did. Um, and, uh, it got rejected of course by the, by all the book, uh, sellers. And back then there really wasn't the whole Amazon thing, but, uh, you know, I wish I'd done it sooner. Uh, I, 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 I could have wrote you so many books during my business career. Uh, I, there's at least four books in me of just employee stories alone of like all the crazy, you know, I come home every day and tell my girlfriends, you know, uh, you won't believe what this employee did today. Um, <laughs> it was a never ending adventure of stories like, and, and so I wish I'd written more. In fact, when I wrote my book, a lot of my memory had faded and, and it took a while for stuff to come back. And fortunately a lot of stuff came back. Um, but you know, it's, it's one of those things. And so I, I think someday he's going to thank you for getting him started early and in the book. And what's the title of the book? Let's give that a plug out. So people can yeah. order it on Amazon. That first book is called The Fox in the Box. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a little Sheba that looks like a fox, and she stopped and looked at an Amazon box. That's where the title came from. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And then I was like, what am I going to write about? So I, I took parts of my book, and uh, I, I whittled it down to where, where kids could talk to their parents, and their parents could bring home stories like you just talked about mm-hmm. and talk to them at a kid's level. Uh, so I have, I have questions at the end of the book that everyone raves about, and those questions, of course, have different answers based on the ages. So the book is, is it's been getting great reviews, mm-hmm. but uh, I never wanted to be known as a kid author, uh, but whittling down the messages helped me on stages. We did uh, 
Grant Cardone did a, a little competition he called the the Great American Speak Off, and they did a TV show on that. And I auditioned, and I was one of the top 150 people in the nation on that, nice. uh, telling a telling a quick story about, uh, believe it or not, my time at the White House, and uh, what we talked about earlier, where the president has a whole lot of weight on his shoulder. I, I kind of tell the opposite side that no one sees, and and uh, that goes like this: uh, while I was in an event site. I looked at the calendar and I saw a little thing called a meet and greet. I love those things. Mm -hmm. So I looked around and all I saw was this guy in a wheelchair and he was just kind of slumped over. And when the president came in with his booming voice, he's like, hello, young man. And immediately this guy's shoulders rocked back and his chest popped out and his face that was filled with wrinkles. It just burst in this smile that made him just look young. Wow. And What's amazing about that is you don't have to be the president of the United States to, to speak that into someone's life, mm -hmm. to give somebody that, that feeling where a recognized leader, because somebody's looking at you as a leader, mm -hmm. recognizes you in a moment. And that, that got me to the national stage, and then I, I, I messed with it and screwed it all up after that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it, it is interesting what you mentioned, that leaders – uh, you know, leaders need to be conscious about the effect that they have. You know, that was the thing yeah. I talked about in my book. You know, the the importance of realizing that people are looking at you. You know, I, I there's a lot of companies I see where a CEO will put out, you know, some PR thing and know oh, mm. about the company and their and their you know mission statement or what their moral sort of thing is, and and you'll look at the leader and he's doing the complete opposite. You know. Um, of what he is espousing or the company is espousing in their in their company's uh, values, and and you know people see that like people it's almost like they don't realize that people are like you're full of shit like we see right through you and we we see that you don't walk your talk and stuff like that. And the military is so good at, at generating leaders and leadership. We've had a few people that have done. I believe we have one of the West Point. Um, guys who who does uh leadership and stuff and i think for one of the top colleges and and, and the military is so good at that and developing leaders and you know teaching people le leaders at every level um it's really important so your your book uh rule of three how yeah. elite win leaders win uh is coming out in june 2023 you can pre-purchase it on the site if you go to your uh site there uh, give us the dot com for that again so people can uh go leaders there order leaders-kit.com is where you can pre-order that. Mm -hmm. And why did you title the book Rule of Three? How, what, what's the uh, impact of that? Yeah, so psychology, right? And you know mm -hmm. all about this. Mm -hmm. uh, psychology tells us why people don't do things. And what I've noticed is whenever you give more than three things to people, they dump it all usually and <laughs> they can't handle it. So um, the, the three things for leaders, as I started to go through my I'm a student of awesomeness, and now mm -hmm. I like to be a professor of awesome awesomeness. What I do anytime I see something that's awesome is I write it down. Like, you can't grab traction without friction. I'm like, Psh, let me write that down. That's a fantastic. I love it when somebody says stuff like that. So I took this giant stack of notebooks when I was going to retire, and I had, you know, no family in Afghanistan. So I started looking at all these things and highlighting what it was, and I found three things that elite leaders do. And when I'm talking elite leaders, my career looks like multiple four stars, multiple three stars, people who are commanding in combat, the president of the United States, 
special operators at every elite team that you can probably think of that have invited me out to be a part of their team to make it better. And so I got to see a lot of angles of leadership and mm -hmm. these three things stuck out to me. Mm -hmm. the, the, the first one is people. People are the priority. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the people aspect gets overlooked all the time. The second thing is time and how you manage it. And the third thing is money. But this is how we do it. This is, this is wrong, but this is how we do it. So whenever you're given a leadership task or a problem, you ask, how much is it going to cost? How much time is that going to take? And then you look at who's going to do it. Mm. When you flip the script, you get how elite leaders win every time. Mm. Who's going to do it? And then they tell you how much time and money it's going to take. And that is, that's the winning formula. It even form, it's, a, it's a W. Look at that. Throwing a mm. W up on the screen because it's a, it's a win every time. Uh, and, and it's amazing that we don't do it like that. But that's the book summarized. <laughs> yeah, a lot of stuff is, you know, especially from a toolbox aspect is fairly simple. Like I always had, you know, a toolbox that I always go to a very, very simple techniques, especially if I had gotten off track, you know, uh, uh, a coach is in Knowlton is one thing, you know, go back to the basics and stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, so keeping it simple, um, you know, and like you say, keeping it three, three things to focus. Um, what, what are some other uh, techniques or uh, tease outs we can do on the book? Yeah. So from the people aspect, uh, there's a lot of different mantras on how people look at that. And the, the common thing that I've gotten back with feedback on that specific topic of, of, Hey, you can't always pick your people is yeah, you can. <laughs> so every time we've been given a team in the military, you said it pretty well, you know, we get trained a lot in leadership. We, we do a lot of leadership training every year. I'm doing something specific to leadership. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we do is a very old school mentality of you give somebody a job, you hire them to do it, and then you just expect them to do it. You don't monitor what they're good at. What I found on uh, very elite teams is the elite leader will pay attention to everyone's qualities. They'll look oh. at the positives and the negatives, and then they'll focus on the positives. So mm -hmm. if you've ever heard of a SWOT analysis, that's strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. This is how oh, really? CEOs... They, they do SWOT analysis to figure out what they're good at, what they're bad at, what opportunities they might have, and what their threats are. I get rid of threats, and I make it a SWO analysis. Oh, there you go. And what happens is you get the strengths, the things that you're good at, and you tell people to do those. The people that are good at those things will do those things for you, and they'll do it really well. Mm -hmm. And your weaknesses, you just find somebody that's good at it, even if they weren't hired to do it. Because it's amazing what you have on your team whenever you start looking at it that way. There you go. And then you, you'll find more opportunities. You just drive over the threats. They go away. They just go away. And then you're just full force. And that always comes out as a question is, how are you getting so much money? You know. <laughs> and with budgeting in the, in the government, they give it to people who win. Mm -hmm. And billions of dollars have flown through my organizations because we win. And we yeah. do it all the time. It's amazing. If you just yeah. flip the script on that, so we're pretty good at it. We're pretty good at, it. Um, you know, we develop good leaders. It's kind of I've been watching the dynamics between the Russian uh, war in the Ukraine and how their leaders work, and I've seen a lot of commentary from the military leaders on uh, why our leadership and our militaries work 
whereas opposed to uh, theirs doesn't. What's kind of interesting is is like their military structure is a little different. Where I mean, they have like top military leaders almost on the front lines because of I don't know. I guess they have everybody's everybody's a leader over there or something. I don't know. Do you have any do you have any thoughts on that? I'm always kind of interested in that. Wow, you're reading my mind because I just pulled that one out. Okay, so General Patton, uh, he he came up with this thing called ground truth. And in World War One, he was a tank commander. He did a lot of tank things, and he used to pull his his tank up to the front lines. And then when he was in World War II, he was a five star general. And one of the things he did really well was whenever he got updates from the battlefield, he called a flag. And he's like, "That's not right." Let's go down to the battleground and get the truth, ground mm-hmm. truth. So he would go and ask, what do you need? And then from the battlefield, they would tell him what it is that they need. Mm-hmm. I employed that same thing when I was in Afghanistan. If I had SEALs, for example, that needed something, I would go down and visit them as the senior guy um, from a directorate standpoint. And I wouldn't stay too long. But I'd be like, hey, what do you need? This is what I'm thinking. And then I would give them updates on other things we were doing. And then Mm -hmm. that drove the train faster because I asked the people who were actually doing the work what they needed. It's amazing how many times we skip that step. Mm -hmm. But that's a military ground truth that that I can plug it right into that question. That is awesome. Definitively. That is how it works. That's how it's supposed to work. Every day. there was another thing that I, I researched recently, uh, and it was the, the U.S. Army's uh, "be no do" concept. You ever heard of that? Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, um, yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Army changes their constructs a lot, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of leaders that have been in for a long time. Uh, Andrew Stedman, good friend of mine, worked at the White House with me. Um, he has a, a website called The Military Leader, and mm-hmm. he posts things like that out there where he'll review some of the things that have gone in the past and then put them into the current army uh, structures. And I love following that stuff. I just love it because Mm -hmm. it's amazing how you can pull excellence together whenever you know where we've come from and what we're doing. Yeah. I mean, the, the amount of work we put into building great leaders, and I think it doesn't one of the successes for uh, our military in the U.S. Uh, is because leaders, we teach, you know, everyone kind of how to be a leader for the most part. And like units can basically, you know, do their do their own thing. I mean, they, they clearly don't go against orders, but, you know, they can make decisions in, in, a, in yep. an extreme environment where maybe, you know, somebody somebody has to take over and step in in, in a crisis situation. Yeah, we, we did a lot of that when I was in command uh, the last time. all the organizations that I've been a part of the air force have won major awards. All the commanders that I advise now are the top in the command right now. And, and so like whenever you're starting to look at leadership and what works, uh, yeah, everyone has a different cycle. So putting a label on how that works is definitely dangerous. Mm -hmm. But what I have seen is whenever you can pull somebody's strengths out and put them on a team of other leaders, they'll start to move forward. And in my situation, I had a great command team. My last command, we won best in the Department of Defense. That's all the branches of service for one of our facilities. And we started rolling out some things that weren't in the books, black and white. We just made the rules and said, okay, is this good? Because if it is, uh, we're going to keep doing it because it's working. And if it's not, give us some guidance. But we're not just going to sit around on our hands because this is a problem and it affects operations. Um, And yeah, 
we empowered commanders to do that. I empower commanders to do that right now. Um, whenever they see a problem, let's fix it. And then mm -hmm. what is somebody going to do? Come slap your hand for fixing a problem? No, that never happens. <laughs> <laughs> you fixed that wrong. That only happens when I work in like corp, uh, big corporations and stuff. Uh, people are like, why'd you fix that? Uh, and uh, was, you didn't you didn't stay within the confines of your of your job, That's and right. but it, when you're in the battlefield, I mean, you know, you're in a sometimes a very alive arena. I don't know if that's yeah. the right term, but you know, you're you're in a combat arena. You're you're under the threat of death, war, yeah. assault, uh, attack, uh, and then it, sometimes you're defending your attack. Um, there's a lot of leadership skills that go into that. And how does a lot of that translate to business? Do you find when you consult with businesses and companies? Yeah, that is a fantastic question that I'm going to answer right now. Did I delay that good enough or? Yeah, I'd like your setup on the, <laughs> on the stall for that one. Yeah. Good no. Uh, so the last time we had, uh, the threat of, uh, uh, an enemy force coming upon, uh, one of our installations. I went out and I talked to everyone that was on the installation about their specific part, if that were to happen. Now, we got attacked a lot. Um, just like any time you're in war, you're expecting to to be ready and, and happen, uh, happen to do whatever it is that, that is needed. But it's better if you communicate. So if you have a plan and you go through it and then you exercise that, that becomes training. And training cycles are now something that are a dirty word because, you know, you have company training, you have corporate training, you have all this <laughs> mandatory training. But it doesn't necessarily need to be dirty. It can be helpful when it's applied correctly to oh. a specific situation. So when we were in um, Afghanistan, I went through and I hit everyone up on my team, all the leaders. I said, what are you doing? And then uh, I was like, OK, show me. And then they did the cycle. And then if we were to be attacked, I felt really good about that. And when we were attacked, everybody did what they were supposed to because we did the training cycle. It's like practicing mm -hmm. dialing 911 with your kid, right? Whenever mm -hmm. something bad happens, they're going to call 911 because they already know how to do it. Oh. Uh, it translates to business like that. If you've got something that you know needs to get done, why aren't you talking about it? And why aren't you engaging your leaders in their portion of it? And what I find whenever I consult is that is the common problem. Leaders will do it if they knew what to do, but they don't. And there's no conversation there. It's just an expectation that, that usually falls flat. You know, uh, what, what, what modes do you see where people fail as leaders? Where, where, where do you think uh, when leader, actually, I'm going to, I'm going to throw a different, well, let's, let's launch that question because I already threw it out, but I think I got another one, but okay. where do you see where uh, in your mind where a lot of leaders fail? Yeah, a lot of leaders fail in communication. Mm. So what happens is a leader is afraid to tell the truth. Just tell the truth. If it oh. sucks, call it like it is. Mm -hmm. They want to beat around the bush, make it pretty, and not hurt anyone's feelings if they're not an elite organization. Mm -hmm. Elite organizations know each other really well. In fact, one of the, the best books I usually reference is, is a, it's, a, it's a little bit uh, uh, older now, it, but it's, it's a book called uh, The All Blacks. And it studies the rugby team, The All Blacks. Hmm. And they do this thing after every game where they really get raw with each other. And they say, hey, I love you. You sucked during this play. <laughs> Still love you, but you need to do better. And then everyone lays it out on the table and they're the most winningest team in history. Oh wow! Because of their not, they do a little uh, 
pre-ritual dance like the haka which is fantastic if you're if you're into youtubes and you like that kind of stuff they do a fantastic little haka dance um and that's that's also what they're known for but they are the winningest team in sports any sport everywhere so wow. that works and it works in business too it works on the, on, a, on a battleground it worked in the white house and it worked in special operations that's got to be really uh you know that, that there's uh that's a great collective self-accountability thing to the team where you help each other you know recognize maybe uh things you you haven't had strengths on or you're weak on or you fell down on and uh you know kind of helps you uh do well on it you know one thing that's helped me is a lot of times whether it's losing weight writing my book or other things is uh accountability uh teams yes. and so having somebody who can be like hey did you write today hey did you uh do you eat right today do you write there buddy you know, I publish a lot of my stuff with losing weight, what I'm eating, and how I'm doing things, and the fasting I do on Facebook. Yeah. Because and and by doing that, it kind of creates a public accountability thing for me, where I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't go get that burger because I gotta tell people on Facebook, you know, that I only got a burger. <laughs> so I, I, it helps keep me on the straight and narrow. It helps keep me like I'm like, ah, should I eat now? Mm, why don't I wait a couple hours so I can brag on Facebook that I made it? Uh, it, it gives you that added pressure. Um, yeah. And so I think that's really important. Um, wh what do you think? Uh, do you find a lot of leaders actively think about their leadership style, what their leadership mode is, their values? Um, uh, many times in business, I ask people, what is your, you know, what is your leadership style? What are your th thoughts on how you do your leadership? And many just aren't aware. They're just like subconsciously, they've kind of learned kind of a pattern that they're utilizing. Mm -hmm. Do you find most people are aware or they've thought through it, or maybe that's something that people need to do more and say, what is my leadership style? What are we trying to do here? Yeah, there, there are two schools of thought on leadership. There is the great man theory, which is mm -hmm. you're born a great leader and then you build on that. Mm hmm. I think that those type of leaders are the ones that reflect on their leadership style, how things hit and how they didn't. And they write mm -hmm. notes like, like me. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think there are people that try really hard to be leaders mm -hmm. and they're just better suited for management where they, they can, they can take a task. They can hold people accountable. They can be truthful. Uh, that's not really pointing anybody in a direction. It's holding them accountable. Mm -hmm. um, so, the leadership portion in your last example is you're leading yourself. When you look in the mirror, you're holding yourself accountable to some other people. There's a management aspect to this, but you're, you're internalizing leadership by, by making a path forward. And I think people get that twisted a lot. So the great man theory, you're born with it. Those people definitely look and reflect and are always looking at what they can do to be better. Mm -hmm. And the people that aren't good at it, that are trying, that aren't, that are learning how to be leaders. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They just, they, they're not as good and they don't do it as much. They might do it every once in a while when they're made to in company training. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I used to be an introvert. I used to watch more than I talked and be very, but I was an analyst and I was also a strategist. I mean, I was playing strategy games very early on, just like almost like an addiction. Um, and I still, I still do a lot of uh, the online games that I play. I'm all about strategy. Um, you know, I mean, you can throw meat at, you throw meat to a, an attack, or or you can just act as a blunt object. But to me, I'd rather 
do things strategically or try to do things strategically. And one of the biggest challenge that I get from those games is, you know, being able to do strategy on the fly yeah. and plan. And, and even in the heat of the moment or in a situation where, um, I don't know what the military term would be, but where you're, you know, you're, you're in a fight or flight attack situation or, or defense situation where you can, you know, take a breath and, and actively mm-hmm. use your brain to teach you other things. We had one of the uh, <clears throat> astronauts on the show <clears throat> from the Apollo 13, was it the Apollo 13 field flight? And, uh, uh, you know, one of the things they do is they condition the astronauts to not react emotionally to anything, to, um, to, uh, uh, to, to think through the process and they teach them so many different processes on what to do if this fails, what to do if that fails. And they practice them like through thousands of, of potential failures and basically to teach them to have this thing where they don't react emotionally. And I forget the Mm -hmm. term that he is. It was the title of his book, but it's basically, uh, oh yeah, don't panic early. I think was the title of his book. (laughs) And, um, and so it, it was, it was an important aspect in them surviving the Apollo 13 failures. Um, early and uh i i've really stuck with that and i've tried to get to develop myself to get to a point where i can um where i can you know utilize that where i'm not panicking where i'm going through the process okay where are we at you know sometimes on my you know online gaming call of duty teams i'll say people hey hey hey, let's all calm down let's take a breath let's not get lost we're getting lost in the moment Let's take a breath. Let's reanalyze, reposition, figure out where we're at. And uh, it makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, it really does. Um, we, uh, we employ in the military a thing called box breathing. And that allows you to kind of take the situation in and then assess it. And it looks like this. You take in a deep breath for three seconds and you hold it for three seconds. And then you let the breath out for three seconds. And then you hold it for three seconds. And then your mind and body connect. Really? Uh, yeah, I've modified it a little bit for whenever I get on stages. You know, when you're looking at thousands of faces or you're looking at bright lights, one or the other, mm-hmm. people get freaked out uh, like a deer in a headlight sometimes. Um, I modified it to be just a three breathing cycle. So I do three things. I breathe in and I hold it and then I let it go. And then by that time, I'll feel my mind and body connect. And then I know what to say. Yeah, and then, it's a great way to center yourself, huh? It absolutely is. And the best thing about public speaking, too, and I always teach everyone this, is when you get on that stage, take in that power because you're going to feel mm-hmm. that presence in silence and everyone's waiting for you to speak. And that's how mm-hmm. you capture the room every time. I, I usually just exclaim, I have all the power. <laughs> do you rip your shirt off, too? Cause, I, I mean, do, I I'm, do. I, tear I was it thinking about like doing Hulk, it. Just like the Hulk. <laughs> But then the HR department came to me and said, I can't do the rip shirt, uh, strip down thing anymore. Um, I think so. <laughs> I've been thinking about it a lot lately, and I, I think I might not do it either. Yeah, uh, might be bad. Yeah. Especially those big <laughs> Fortune 500 companies. You know, they're so, they're like, they have like certain rules. But, you know, you can still turn green and everything. So that yeah, way, Yeah. The Hulk smash. Hulk speak. Yeah. Um, so this is really good. What other sort of aspects do you have in the book or anything you want to tease out to get people to pick up in order the book? Yeah. So for me, I, I talk to an elite mindset and mm-hmm. this is something I think is missing right now. So 
where I, I will tease this out is Simon Sinek. He he did the most popular TED talk ever called Start With Why, and he explained the golden circle. So Simon said, why? Next up is you. Hmm. All right. Um, your mindset, what you do in the mirror, like Mel Robbins will tell you to do a high five in the mirror. That works, by the way. I teach oh. that. People are like, hey, uh, that must be something you just teach. No, I, I mean, I've done it and it works. I don't do it all the time. But when you start looking at your own mind and what you're letting in, uh, then you get you get a Mel Robbins action tied to a Jim Rohn uh, theory, which is, you know, you got to pull the weeds out of your garden. And if you're not doing that, you're going to start beating yourself up on, on what you didn't do instead of all the awesome things that you did do. And it goes right back to a lot of the theories that, that I talk about and summarize in my book, but it's an elite mindset. It doesn't matter what you do. If you're part of a team, mm -hmm. you got to be the best at it that you can. You have to be elite. So for my community as a, a warfare communications operator, if I don't do my job, books get written and movies come out and people die and it's never a good day. So I used to tell my team that I'm like, guys, that can't happen while I'm here. You do mm -hmm. understand the importance of your job. Like you're not the guy pulling the trigger, but you're making sure that guy goes home. Yeah. So uh, you're an elite person on this team. You're a special operations communicator. You better live up to it today or I'm sending you home. Yeah. I mean, life or death. I mean, yeah. you know, this isn't, this isn't a, you know, this isn't my call of duty lately. You know, I can always recover if I have a shitty game, but you know, in the real world, whether, I mean, even business can be life or death. It can, it can destroy you. It can destroy your finances, your future. Um, it can be very destructive and yeah, keeping a clean head, keeping the weeds out of your brain is really important because sometimes it's just, you know, like, like I said, I, I used to adhere to, um, coach, is it Noland? No, Nolington. He was the guy who uh, big winnings coach in college. I always forget his name. Okay. But one of his aspects was going back to basics. And and I would sometimes I would take a, a feature in our business or some sort of process in our business, and I would modify it or you know I'd be like, hey, let's tweak this a little bit and let's add a few little sparklies and and we'll try and make it do some cooler things and you know and then yeah. things would stop working. You somehow you you'd screw it up. Sometimes my brain would be focused on, you know, have a good time and join all the money instead of, uh, you know, doing the hard work that got me there. And, uh, I'd have to go, Hey, well, okay. Partying's got to stop. You know, we got to get back to basics and, uh, focus on the important stuff and let's quit <laughs> burning through the weeds basically. Yeah. I, I, there's, I think that is a common theme in coaching. Mm -hmm. uh, Vince Lombardi put uh, mastering the fundamentals on the map. That's that's how he explains it. But I think he stole it. <laughs> uh, maybe I shouldn't say that on your show. Creative, there's creative swiping. Tom <laughs> Peters calls it creative swiping. We we, we creative swipe. It's, it's not stealing. It's, it, yeah, it's creative swiping. It's uh, you know uh, everybody knows where we're out there. Uh, and yeah, and to correct uh, my title of the book from. Um, from Fred Hayes's book, uh, from the Apollo 13, it's never panic early, which oh. is probably better than don't panic early. Like never, like just I never do, just never panic early. And it was an interesting discussion in how they're taught. And, uh, and you know, he even told me, uh, he, he said the movie is, you know, it's a little drama up when you see the Apollo 13 movie, he goes, we never panicked. He goes, the only time we, we, I felt a little bit of panic 
was when they were coming in <clears throat> into the atmosphere, there was some sort of issue, I think, when they were breaking the atmosphere. But other than that, he said, I, he said, I wasn't worried. I wasn't afraid we weren't going to make it home. We were all pretty calm and collected. And, uh, and I, I was like, holy shit. <laughs> right. I, I was like, this guy, I mean, I, you see the movie and you're just like, I'd be freaking the freak out, you know, the first time something. <laughs> it's, I think, I think you would think that, I don't know. There's different levels of stress. Mm-hmm. So whenever I'm getting attacked for the first time in combat, that was a different level of stress mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, first time I ever got shot at, that was different than being attacked because I was physically being attacked. The first time I had to put the president on the phone, different level of stress uh, altogether. The first time I got up on, on stage in front of thousands, another different kind of stress. The mindsets that you go through all get quilled with more cycles. You know, the, the fact that he was calm is because he practiced that. He put the cycles in to, to just respond instead of react, which a lot of people don't get the opportunity to do that. So, yeah, if I was put in that situation, I'd be freaking out. But, <laughs> but I know he's probably been through the cycles and he's like, uh, I'm going to, this is your pilot speaking. I'm uh, operating a spacecraft right now. Huh. So that, you know, my smooth voice is going to come. <laughs> it was Coach John Wooden that I was uh, referencing oh. earlier. I had to pull that reference so I got that right. Because people Samson. in the audience are like, you're an idiot. Why can't you remember that? No. But for some reason, I always forget his name, John Wooden. <clears throat> but, yeah, he had a lot of great principles of leadership. Twelve, I think it was like the 12 steps or 12 peers. It was a tiered uh, pyramid system. But going back to basics. You know, sometimes you really get off brand, especially when you become successful. And then you're Mm -hmm. like, why is everything failing right now? Why is everything getting mucked up? And it's like, go back to basics. Um, So there you go. Anything more you want to tease out on your book on leadership, uh, et cetera, et cetera, before we go out? You know, um, there's one of the things that, that really put me on the map. This last book, my son and I actually worked together and tried. And the premise of this last book, uh, called The Fox and the Talks, very similar mm-hmm. title, uh, was it, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. So as a leader, as a parent, as a teacher, as a whatever teammate, mm-hmm. whatever you have to say needs to come through a process somehow to come out correctly. And I didn't know the world needed that, but that one popped that red ribbon on on our last book so quick because of the message uh, that that it that it carries, and I just wanted to put that out in your audience too. Uh, I know podcasts uh, are are exactly you're hearing exactly how we say it, and the mm-hmm. message isn't the first time. This is not the first time I'm delivering a message uh, to to uh, a, a larger audience. It's different every time I say it, but it's how you say it that matters, not exactly how it's said. So That's I true. wanted to give that to you. What, what do you think about that? Let me turn the tables. What do you I, think about that? I love that idea. Um, I, there's sometimes I screw with my dogs where I'll, I, I'll, I'll, someone will come around and I'll, and I'll start talking to them and swearing at them, but I say it in a loving tone. Swearing like, at oh, them? Oh, you little... And they're with their toes are wagging. And my friends will be like, you're cussing out your dogs. And I go, but it's the tonality. It's how I say it to them that makes all the difference. So, uh, yeah, I love that sort of example, you know, and, and I call my dogs, they have like 5,000 
names and you know so i call them all sorts of names but it's the tone they hear that you love them that you care about them through their voice and i think you know i uh, i was i heard someone say recently that you know your people need to know that you care about them and empathize with them mm-hmm. how important is that in leadership and in having your people be aware of that yeah people don't care about what you know until they know about how much you care really and i love that. yeah yeah, I, I, that's my 10% change to a very popular phrase that uh, was put out by Carnegie Mellon. Um, but the premise is there. It's people. So I have a product that I provide to CEOs that are taking that next step. When they grow to a certain point, usually it's between the 8 and 10 million range. They have to grow their team. Mm-hmm. And what that looks like is a new person comes in after the success. And then that whole dynamic changes. Mm-hmm. So what I what I tell them to do is this little thing I call an owner's manual. And every general officer does it. Every commander does it. And I did it. I stole a whole bunch of things from a whole lot of places and put it together to make my own product. And I call it an owner's manual. And what it is, is it's how I operate. But it's not just how I operate. It's who I am. Mm-hmm. So it describes all the things that would cause a rumor mill. Like, hey, I'm not married. Hey, I have kids. Hey, I have a dog that I like to to to, to cuss at every once in a while because uh, it's a Shih Tzu. Um, <laughs> they're a lot like they're a lot uh, like uh, Siberian Huskies, for what I mean. But it's hard lines. In whenever you put those out there, it goes back to the communication. You know, whenever you explain to someone how they need to be a part of the team, they'll fold into place and they'll become a very productive part of that team. But that product fast forwards all of the things that make things awkward for the new team member to come in and start performing. Mm-hmm. And then everyone sees that person as a team member instead of a uh, competition or an obstacle or somebody to work around uh, because that product helps tease out some of those questions. There you go. There you go. Well, this has been really insightful uh, and stuff to, to have you on the show. We really appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. I've been yeah. a fan uh, for a couple weeks now. I'm kidding. There you go. There you go. Well, we'll make you a bigger fan and then, uh, and then all that good stuff. So, uh, give us your .com one more time. So if you can find yeah. you on the interwebs, it's leaders kit.com. There you go. And order up the book folks, wherever fine books are sold. Uh, it, actually you'll, you'll be needing to order it on his website. Uh, rule of three, how elite leader, leaders win. Are right, you going to release this on Amazon when it comes close to the thing, or is this going to be still a private affair? Yeah, it's going to go everywhere. So uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Wall Street Journal, let's be on the bestseller everywhere. <laughs> there you go. That's definitely important and all that good stuff. So you want to take advantage of that. Uh, let's give a shout out uh, to one of our, uh, let's see, what is it, latest review on the Chris Foss Show. This came out February 26, 2023, uh, thanks to Al Z02 from Canada. <clears throat> all the way from Canada. Wow. Our wonderful neighbors to the north, A, eh? take off. Hey, I'm a big Rush fan, so there's that. Uh, he wrote, passionate, powerful, and potent. Latest reviews. Wait, is this on my show? Uh, get ready to explore topics from all perspectives. Unabashed commentary with compelling and thought-provoking ideas. A breath of fresh air in a much-needed time. I'm touched. Thank you very much, AllZO2, uh, for the five-star review on the Chris Foss Show. There you go. And we couldn't do it without uh, brilliant authors and people on the show, uh, like Atlas Altman today. Thank you, Atlas, again for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate there it. you go. Thanks, Monitz, for tuning in. We couldn't do it without you either. 
because uh, we need you guys. Uh, otherwise, uh, you know, what else would we do? We'd just be sitting here talking to ourselves. <laughs> Go to goodreads.com for says Chris Foss, youtube.com for says Chris Foss, the big LinkedIn uh, group, the LinkedIn newsletter, all the stuff on LinkedIn. It's pretty crazy what's going on over there. Be good to each other. Stay safe, and we'll see you guys next time. That should take us out.